look, there's really no other way for me to say it. You're missing out. If you're not playing this, you're missing out. It's the free contests on the NBC Sports Predictor app. They've already handed out over $3 million in cash prizes, and there are tens of thousands more up for grabs this and every week. So get in on the action right now with the NBC Sports Predictor app powered by PointsBet. For the biggest names in sports talk, watch the NBC Sports Channel every weekday on Peacock. Featuring pro football talk, the Dan Patrick Show, the Ritz Eisen Show, and more. Streaming live for free on PeacockTV.com slash NBC Sports. First thing, I want to welcome everybody. I want to welcome and thank you all. Uh, so far, uh, not only your contributions, but Jim Ursay, the owner of the Indianapolis Colts, has donated $25,000 to our cause, which uh, I'm glad Peter Schrager is wearing the Quentin Nelson jersey. Is it? No, there he is. Look. So, uh, you know, we thank, uh, we thank Jim Ursay. And obviously, we thank all of you for contributing um, to fight some very, very important uh, or to support some very, very important COVID-19 causes in the United States. So we're going to start right away. I was going to start by asking Peter and Chris uh, some questions. But since everybody is on and everybody is hungry to talk to us, we're going to start right now. Okay. So why don't we go first? to Cliff Gross. Cliff Gross, are you there? And uh, if, so, if so, Dom is, I'm sorry, Matt is going to get you up and ask your question. Here I am. Thank you very much. Um, I want to appreciate uh, you guys doing this. I'm a big fan of all of you guys. So thank you again. Um, I'm a big Jet fan, unfortunately. <laughs> Obviously, um, we need an offensive tackle. Um, can you guys rate the top four offensive tackles and your opinions of each? And um, second part, do you think the Jets may have to move up to maybe nine or ten to get one of the top four? And would it be worth it? Okay, Chris, Sim Chris Sims, go ahead. Thanks. Thanks, Cliff. Okay, all right. Yeah, good question. I'm with you. I think in my mock draft, I'm going to have the Jets taking an offensive tackle too. All right, so – you know, if I had to rank them, I would go Jedrick Willis from Alabama. Makai Becton would be my second one from Louisville. Um, Thomas, uh, you know, Andrew Thomas from Georgia would be number three. And then I would probably go Tristan Wirfs from Iowa as number four. Now, the interesting thing I would say, too, just in that conversation, you know, Wirfs, uh, he scares me a little at tackle. I won't lie. He's a little slow-footed to where I'm not so sure if you need a tackle, I would take him if he was the only one left on the board. And the Makai Becton, um, you know, red flag, of the drug test of the combine might allow him to slip into your grasp, grasp there at number 11, which could be very interesting. If that happens, I expect the Jets to take it. Peter Schrager. Yeah, it's actually interesting. So I did the uh, preseason games for the Jets last year. I had a chance firsthand to see just how bad that offensive line was. And I knew in August it was going to be a long season for whoever was at quarterback. Here's how I look at those four, though. Becton coming out of the combine, I think everyone had as a number one. And now there's stories coming out. You saw the combine test stuff. But also, 
boomer bust potential here. 370 pounds. I know he's fast and nimble, but like this is Joe Douglas's first pick as a general manager. Does he want boomer bust or does he want what he knows is going to be a guy who can play for 10 years? So I look at a guy like Andrew Thomas, who Chris mentioned, and a lot of people are saying he's the cleanest of all these prospects. So here's how I'll order it. I also have Jedrick Wills one. I've got Andrew Thomas as two. I've got Tristan Wirfs as three, and I've got Becton as my fourth. I could see Becton falling in this draft just because of all the question marks on what are you getting? Are you getting Trent Brown, or are you getting some guy who you're not even sure is going to be on the field in two years' time? Uh, Okay, let's go to the next question. We now have Kobe Meyer from Chicago. Kobe, come on in. Uh, you got a Steelers question. Yeah, so uh, first of all, I appreciate uh, all the content you guys do. It really uh, keeps me uh, during my Zoom online school because I'm a senior in high school. But my question is, um, do you think the uh, Steelers could take Jalen Hurts and while uh, grooming him as a quarterback, just put him in like an offensive weapon at some times, like what the Saints do with Taysom Hill? Because – they kind of lack some offensive firepower last year, especially like at running back with Connor Hurt. Okay, so I'll take that one. First of all, Jalen Hurts would be the perfect quarterback for the Steelers to draft, in my opinion. Not only because he would be a good relief pitcher for Roethlisberger this year, but it gives the Steelers an opportunity to look at him and say, is he the future? Everybody saw this past year that when Roethlisberger got hurt, they got a little bit of magic from Duck Hodges, but they need an answer at quarterback. If I were them, I think he'd be a great pick for them in the second round. Jalen Hurts is going to get drafted in the second round. I think probably no later than 55 by Baltimore. That's my gut feeling. And it's because so many teams view him as Taysom Hill and maybe a little bit more. Thank you. Okay, you're welcome. Bob Marino, you are next. Bob Marino. Here he comes. Hi there. How are you? Okay, Bob. Thanks for joining us. What do you got? Okay. I've got um, a Hall of Fame question. And, Peter, I'm thinking this one's for you. Yeah. You know, I grew up in Pittsburgh. Haven't lived there for years, but I'm always a fan. Um, I grew up in the days of Andy Russell before that, actually. But – my question for you is, from the from a Hall of Fame perspective, has he gotten any consideration? He's his stats are very similar to um, uh, Jack Ham and uh, Jack uh, and Lambert from a um, Pro Bowl perspective, but he spent most of his career with a very bad team. Yeah, so I, I think uh, I'll tell you what I think, Bob. And thanks for the question, and thanks for joining us, um, sure. Andy Russell. To me, you're absolutely right. Andy Russell, had he played uh, maybe five years later, and he played in the heart of the Steelers dynasty years, uh, I think he'd be getting very strong consideration for the Hall of Fame. But to me, he suffers the same fate as a Tommy Novus suffers. You know, a lot of times when you're a very good player on a mediocre team, you don't get the consideration for the Hall of Fame. It's one of the unfortunate things. That plus the fact that Andy Russell, I don't want to say suffers, but I think generally uh, the people, my peers on the Hall of Fame committee, I think like if I were looking at it, I think the next guy, if the Steelers ever get any more in, and 
people will howl if they do from that era. If, it, if they get another one in, the next one in, I believe, is probably L.C. Greenwood. Um, and so, I, I mean, it's just one of those things that I think, probably unfortunately, that uh, Andy Russell is probably going to go down as being in the Hall of Very Good. But I appreciate your question. Andy Warren, come on board. Andy Warren. going on guys again thanks so much for doing this it's obviously going to an amazing cause um eagles question probably don't need to refresh anybody about the need at wide receiver so if you're howie roseman at 21 and assuming those top four which would obviously be judy Ruggs, jefferson um lamb are all gone who do you think is somebody outside of that initial tier that has a chance to come out of this draft being just as good if not better that they could target either at 21 or in a trade down scenario. Chris Sims, go ahead. Okay. Well, there's a lot. I mean, there really is. The, the good thing is if the receiver you don't want or don't value as far as that first round pick at that pick number 21, if he's not there, man, there's still a lot of good to be had down the line, whether that's even in the second round or trading up a little bit in the second round to get to a spot to where you feel comfortable. But here's a to throw out there. You know, Brandon Ayuk Brandon from Arizona State, I think he's very much on the fringe of that end of the first round, top of the second round. Um, Peter, I thought, had one of the uh, great calls today on, on wide receivers mock draft with Michael Pittman Jr. from USC. I think he's in that conversation, along with T. Higgins and Denzel Mims from Baylor. I think any of those guys, really, I wouldn't be shocked if any, any of them went somewhere between 25 and 45, really. But those are probably the next names on the list. And don't get me wrong, there's some other ones after that that are still pretty damn good, too. But those are probably the next ones for me on the list. You know, my gut feeling uh, on this one, and I've got a little bit of knowledge on this, is that I don't see the Eagles trading up for a receiver, and I don't think it would be that painful for them if they took Murray, the linebacker from Oklahoma, here to wait till 53. But we'll no. see. Um, let's go to John K. next. John, you're up. Thanks, Peter. I really appreciate you guys doing this. And with all the stress going on, you know, these times, it's just great to talk sports for once for an hour great. or so. Thank I'm a big Ram fan. And uh, I know there's a limited amount in Iowa, but I'm one of the few. Um, what do you think their greatest need going in the draft is? Do you think it's a linebacker uh, to replace Littleton? Do you think it's O-line running back now that they uh, got rid of their running back? What, what do you guys think? Um, Peter Schrager is an absolute expert on the Rams. Peter, go ahead. <laughs> I know that. All right. So I do talk with McVay quite a bit, and I know that they want to fill a lot of needs here. They were excited about that Brandon Cooks trade because they really valued the second-round pick. So now you have two second-round picks. I would think – they would probably look to build up that offensive line a little bit at one of those picks. And I wouldn't rule out a running back. I, look, this is a weird running back draft where there isn't that Saquon Barkley slam dunk. Everyone likes DeAndre Swift, but I know teams that like Clyde Edwards, Alaire at a LSU, just as much as DeAndre Swift. I know one team that has its eyes on JK Dobbins out of Ohio state. I think at those second round selections, and I don't have them offhand where the Rams are selecting. I wouldn't be shocked if they, paired one of those types of guys with Daryl Henderson 
if the running backs are falling and not being drafted. It's, it's one of those positions where it almost feels like it's a luxury position now in the draft. But for the Rams, that's how their offense runs. They need a running back. I think you could look running back with at least one of those second-round picks. Crawford King, you're up. Hey, guys. How are you? Great. Um, so I'm a really big Giants fan, um, and them being at number four, they have, uh, you know, a lot of things they could do. And I would love for them to take Isaiah Simmons, but I feel like they're going to go with the offensive tackle. Um, if they did go with Isaiah Simmons, who would be left at their second-round pick uh, at offensive tackle? Do you think? Chris, why don't you, Chris, why don't you take that one? Okay, um, I think Josh Jones might be a guy, the kid from Houston, who's in that conversation, okay, as far as guys that are left over from that first-round conversation-type tackle, all right? Uh, another name that jumps out to me that I think is up, up there in this is, hey, Austin Jackson from USC, all right? He's another guy. I don't expect him to go in the first round. He donated bone marrow last year to his, his sister, Okay, but he's got all the physical traits and ability and size to be a last year. People say that his body was deeply affected by what went on with that bone marrow transplant. So that would be one name. Robert Hunt from Louisiana Lafayette, if I was going to throw another name out there, I think he's a guy that has the possibility of going in the top 45, 50 picks of the draft. And the kid from uh, Boise, and I'm blanking on his name. Uh, and and Robert Cleveland. Cleveland. Excuse me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. I, I, think it, I think those are the next group up of offensive tackles on the list there. But I'll just say this to you. I'm a Giants fan, too. I like Saquon. I like Daniel Jones. Let's just take the freaking four and move on with life. We need it badly. <laughs> take the freaking four and move on with life. Can we put that on a T-shirt? Okay. Uh, Jonathan Earl, you're up. Jonathan, go ahead. Hi, guys. Uh, thank you so much for doing this. It's absolutely great idea. Uh, so my question kind of came about from your column on Monday, Peter, where you were talking about the value of first and second round wide receivers being drafted recently. Uh, as a Jets fan, I quite liked what Mike McCagnon did in the 2017 draft where he took Jamal Adams sixth and Marcus May, another D at 39. I'm wondering if you see any value in teams, for example, Miami with a lot of high picks, just doubling up on receipt, possibly pairing a Judy with a Pittman, something like that. I think that's it. Where are you, uh, Jonathan, where are you from? Where are you, where are you joining us from? From Leicester in England. Oh, that's great. It's late at night there. Thanks a lot. Peter Schrager, let's get some Jets talk. Yeah, I think the Jets are fascinating. Similar to the Giants where it's one of these things where I'm watching this last dance with, uh, with Michael Jordan and I watched the Portland Trailblazers with the second overall pick draft Sam Bowie because they already had their guard and they drafted a position as opposed to just picking Michael Jordan. The Jets and Giants are similar here. The Jets at 11, everyone says Joe Douglas wants an offensive tackle and he does and they're going to draft offensive tackle no matter what. But Jerry Judy and CeeDee Lamb could be game-changing players. And sometimes you've got to rip it up and take the best player available. However, with a draft as deep as this, I think the move is take the tackle, and you're right. We'll go back to those second-tier guys, the Pittmans, 
the Ayukes if he slips. I like a guy, Lavishka Chanel out of Colorado, who's dealt with a lot of injuries, but when healthy, could really be a game changer and is tough as nails and really fits what the Jets are looking for as far as a tough number one wide receiver to go with Perryman and Crowder. I think this is such a rich draft of wide receivers and both Chris and Peter can echo this. There are about 30 guys who might go in the top 120, hop, hop 130. And you could say, okay, okay, okay. Cause at the combine, there were guys like Chase Claypool out of Notre Dame. Like guys all showed up. The Jets can get one of those guys and still get one of those elite offensive tackles. I think that would be the best pairing as instead of reaching and then settling for tackle in a later round. Chris Chug, you're up. Where are you from, Chris? Uh, from Buffalo, but currently living in College Station, Texas. Nice. Okay, go ahead. My question is concerning uh, the quarterback class of 2021. If that's having an effect on teams like Jacksonville and Miami, who have tons of weaknesses, but have multiple first-round picks this year and next year, if they don't love Herbert or Tua or Love, is that going to factor in where they think maybe they have ammo next year to go after Trevor Lawrence or Justin Fields? I think that's a really, really interesting question. I'll take that one. My feeling is that Stephen Ross basically uh, has, for the last three years, has pointed to a time where they could get their franchise quarterback. And so this year, there are those inside the Miami organization who said, whatever we have to pay to Cincinnati to get up to number one, pay it, do it. We need Joe Burrow. But the fact is, if you have Joe Burrow, I don't think Cincinnati, unless you offered him seven ones or say, I'm, I'm kidding. I don't think Cincinnati is trading the pick. Okay. So next year, let's say, I mean, the Dolphins are going to be pretty good. They're going to win six, seven, eight games, I would say at least. I mean, they were five and four after Halloween this year, and they're significantly improved this year, and they don't have to play Tom Brady twice anymore. <laughs> so I, I mean, they're not going to be anywhere, in my opinion, not going to be anywhere near the first pick in the draft. So now it doesn't matter how many ones you got next year. And they have two ones next year and two twos. But I think my point overall is that, you know, don't assume that because you're rich in the draft next year, that you're going to be able to trade up and get whatever quarterback you want. Because most teams – if you've got the first pick in the draft and you've got a quarterback need, you're almost certainly not going to trade it. So if I were them, I would do the best I could this year. Uh, I think it's probably Justin Herbert, but it might be Tua. I just don't know. I would just do that and I would move on. And, and, I, and I think that that's probably what they're going to do. Dan Volante, you're up. Hey, guys. Just want to echo what everybody else is saying. Thank you guys for doing this. It's really cool for all of us and happy to help out the fund. Uh, my question is regarding draft trading. Do you guys foresee any team outside the top 10 jumping into the top 10? Um, and, and who would they be looking for? I've heard Atlanta's name a lot, but who, who do you think they would be looking for at that point? Peter Schrager, go. I find Atlanta to be fascinating. Another team that I think could be really – interesting if they just want to move up a couple spots to get that position is now Tampa Bay. If, if they really just added Gronk, which it sounds like they did, and they've got that 14th pick and three of the top tackles. 
sitting out there. I could see Tampa Bay saying, okay, we got to protect Tom Brady now. Well, we're all in on this year. Let's go get one of those offensive tackles. I could see Tampa being a little aggressive, moving up a couple picks and getting into that top 10 to try to make sure they get one of those tackles. I, this Brady and Gronk thing is wild to me. And I, I'm pretty plugged in around it. I did not see this one happening. Certainly not when – Gronk was just named the WWE champion or something. So things really become interesting. It seems like the, the Buccaneers are all of a sudden all in on 2020. Um, when, I, you know, three months ago, I don't think anyone was talking about the Buccaneers as Super Bowl contenders. I, w- I just want to, uh, well, I know we got to move along, but I want to ask Chris Sims this question. This strikes me as an odd acquisition. <laughs> because if you were to tell me right now, give Give me three teams in the NFL whose tight end situations you really like. Tampa would be one of them. And I'm not, I'm not in any way anti-Gronk. He's one of the best tight ends of all time. What is he now? And do you really need Gronk on this team right now? And I, I, I don't know. Chris, let's hear your thoughts. Yeah, I mean, my, I think that's a it's a brilliant question. First off, and I mean, as we all know, I mean, you know, let's not be Captain Obvious. They are they're all in for 2020. They, they want to make it happen. It's a Super Bowl run, and you know, Gronk is Brady's in Brady's comfort tree or his circle of trust or whatever you want to say. Now, you know, do I know that some people in Tampa have been underwhelmed by O.J. Howard? Hey, yeah, we all know that. You know, what I want to know to this point, and we haven't heard, right? I mean, we've heard that they've traded the rights to Gronk. We don't know if there's a player involved. I mean, I wouldn't be shocked if O.J. Howard is involved in this trade and maybe is on his way up to New England. But I, I, I just saw this as we sat down, so I don't know. But, yes, I'm just as shocked as you because Cameron Brake is a very good football player. O.J. Howard is in dangerous and certainly still has room to improve. Been a little bit of a – Okay, bust. I don't want to say a bust, but just underwhelming to this point, great. So I was surprised to hear it happen, too. Uh, I would think that New England would be asking for one of those tight ends back if they were going to give Gronk away, though. Yeah, it says Schefter reported that it's, they're, they're sending New England a four. And, uh, wow. and New England is sending back a seven. So I don't know. Okay. Hey, let's go to, let's go to Kevin Bergstrom, Worcester, Massachusetts. Kevin, come on. Hey, Peter, thanks for um, doing this for everybody. Appreciate your time. Um, you had the Pats looking at Tua in the first round in your mock draft. Let's yeah. assume that the top three quarterbacks are off the board, um, including Tua. At, in the first round, do you think the Pats would then look to potentially reach for a Jordan Love or a Jacob Eason, or do you think they would then use that spot for a position of need, either potentially wide receiver or front seven on defense? I don't think they're taking Jordan Love at 23. I wouldn't be surprised to see him trade back because they'd like to replenish their, the second round pick that they lost. Everybody knows that that was a trade that didn't work out uh, in trading the two uh, to Atlanta for Mohamed Sanu. Um, I, I, my gut feeling is that probably Belichick is just gonna go and try to take the best guy at a position of need on his roster. The other thing I think you as a Patriots fan need to watch out for in this draft is what in the world is going to happen with Joe Tooney. Their cap situation is in the dumpster. And if they keep Joe Tooney this year, that's whatever it is, $15 million 
that they got to chop uh, people's salaries and, and push stuff off to the future. It, it, you know, I think it's, I would guess that it would be most likely that Tooney gets traded. They end up maybe with a two if they can get somebody's two out of that. The Patriots are going to be able, even if they do go get Tua, which, you know, I just threw out there because I think it makes sense if he starts falling. Um, I think what you're going to see the Patriots do is really replenish their roster with a lot of guys who can make it and be building blocks for the next generation. Uh, let us go to Dan Glad. Thanks, Kevin. Dan Glad, you're from Cincinnati. Let's go. Yes, sir. Uh, first, I, w I just want to thank you guys for uh, for doing this, giving us a platform to talk sports with, and it's obviously for a great cause. Now, as a Cincinnati Bengals fan, I have seen a lot, uh, especially during the past year. hasn't been pretty, but uh, we were really good early uh, early 2010s. Uh, we couldn't win that playoff game. Came close, but even in the past year, 12 out of the 16 games we were leading. And we were the first team to do that since 2000 and only win two games. Now with Joe Burrow in a fresh class coming in, along with a new free agency, free agency period coming right. in, third most paid, how long do you think it's going to take for us? And what is it going to take for us to get back to that point of competition that we saw in the early 2010s? Peter Schrager, go. Answer I'm actually, I'm, Yeah, I like it. Joe Exotic, what's up? I'm really <laughs> – I'm really bullish on the Bengals, at least for this draft. Let me explain why. Um, I spoke to another team who said the fact that the Bengals got to go to the senior bowl and coach that thing, they had their hands on 50 different players that none of us got to even meet in our facility. So the Bengals have that advantage. Also, this whole entire technology with the virtual draft could all crap out. I mean, it could go real haywire. The Bengals know who they're taking the first day. They know who they're going to have the, on their board first, second day, and on the third day too. So at the very least, when they're on the clock, it's not going to suddenly be this incredible technology hurdle. Instead, it'll be, okay, we've been doing this for weeks. We know we like Burrow. We know we like this. And then in free agency this year, I thought they did very well. I like DJ Reader. I think he's a fantastic player. And if you can get A.J. Green back on the field, this team could compete. Now, it's a loaded AFC North. It's you could say what you want about the Steelers. If Ben back, they're improved, and the Browns should be better, and, of course, the Ravens. But I don't see this being a 10-year rebuild. I think if Burrow's the quarterback in today's NFL, when you have a rookie quarterback who's 25 years old and the experience that he has, he should be able to win some games, or he's going to be expected to. I don't think it's going to be some dark days uh, for many years. It might be a rough first season, but I think the Bengals will be all right. Peter Schrager using a quote that we use every offseason since 1999. You know, the Browns should be better this year. I know. Okay, here we go. <laughs> Carrie Tan, Shrewsbury, Pennsylvania. Come on in, Carrie. As a lifelong 49ers fan, I was wondering if the Niners draft an elite wide receiver, if we don't trade down from 13 or 31. Kittle had back-to-back 1,000-yard -back seasons, but we haven't had a wide receiver with 1,000-yard receiving yards since uh, Anquan Bolden in 2014. Can I, can I just take this one, guys? I – I was telling somebody today that I went to 49ers training camp last year pretty early. And the day I was there, I thought the best offensive player on the field was their third round pick from Baylor, Jalen Hurd. And he ended up getting hurt and not playing last year. And the only thing I've been told by somebody in San Francisco is, of course, you know, there's a receiver need. But we don't view receiver as something we have to do with the 13th pick. 
And I agree with him. I think if Javon Kinlaw is there, that won't surprise me if they pick him. And I also think that they know that the receivers are so good. Schefter reported this. I, I said it the same. I had him trade down from 13. They will not mind trading one or both of those picks. Um, because remember, the gap between 31 and like whatever it is, 150, they've got the biggest gap of any single team in this draft. Uh, let us go to Anchor Sharma in Seattle. Go ahead, Anchor. Hey, guys. Thank you so much again. Huge, huge uh, Chris Sims fan. Love the Unbuttoned podcast and everything else. Um, so I know you're a Josh Allen supporter, one of the few in the media. Um, so my question is, what can the Bills do this weekend to make themselves a legit Super Bowl contender? Ooh, good question. Good question. All right. Well, hey, the Bills, their team is pretty well built, as you know. I mean, I don't look at it and go, oh, man, they got glaring needs all over the field. I guess – Hey, listen, one thing I've beaten the drum about a little bit, I'm pulling up my notes, too, just to make sure I got a spot-on answer for you. I understand Devin Singletary's a good football player. I get that. If I'm them, though, I'm adding another running back in the first three rounds, a little bit more of a bell cow type of running back. And, you know, again, this is a New England offense they're running there, right, with Brian Dayball. You know, they believe in running back by committee. And Singletary, I think, is more the guy, hey, we're spreading the field. It's third down. He's perfect for that role. I don't know if he's going to be able to stand the test of time or necessarily get you tough yards all the time when it comes to running between the tackles. That would be one concern for me with the Buffalo Bills there. So I think that's one area I look at a whole lot. You know, defensive line, linebackers are set up. You know, secondary's in a good spot. Maybe a little more depth on the offensive line is probably where you'd look at. And after that, you know, it's kind of just icing on the cake. I don't see anything real glaring, at least that I have in my notes, to go, oh, man, if they don't address this situation, they're screwed over. No, I think they're going to be in the mix of things all year. And I, of course, think they're an AFC playoff contender. Anchor, thanks so much for joining us. Atticus Goldie from Toronto. Now, somehow, someway, Atticus Goldie up in Toronto has become a Raiders fan. Hmm. And he has a question so about the Las Vegas Raiders. It's a lifelong affliction. First, I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna, this is like a kind of a two-parter. I'm starting off with a haiku. Just right. <laughs> so, Gruden scares me lots. Mayock, not as much. <laughs> Trade for Tua? Yeah. And I don't know, like, and, and I also want to say to you. Your, your syllables are all off. May I not know. as much? That's only the, four not syllables as much. five syllables. Grammar doesn't count. <laughs> not as much. And, and Mr. Sims, I got to say, I've been following your career from day one. I'm a huge fan of your dad's. Love you, too. Um, anyways. Thank you. Thank I, I'm you very concerned much. About, I'm concerned about Gruden, right? And I'm concerned about his love or lack of love for Carr and you, Chris, being a quarterback that played for him. Um, how much does he want his guy? Sure. Okay. Well, you know, I would say this. You know, you're right. I mean, hey, Gruden's crazy. He likes to <laughs> – I always say, I like to say on the show, Gruden's a quarterback horde. Sure. Okay. That's what he does. He, 
He likes to hoard them in. And, yes, I don't think Derek Carr is safe to, to, you know, just make that point. But I also would say, how do you really know what Derek Carr is quite yet? You haven't exactly put the best talent in the world around him. And I'm not sitting here trying to tell you that, oh, Derek Carr's the savior and all those things. But Derek Carr certainly has enough physical ability and skills and traits to be a starting quarterback in the NFL and lead a team to victories. I mean, we have saw that. He led a team, what is that, a second year with all those come fourth quarter comebacks, and he was in the MVP conversation. But nonetheless, would I be shocked if the Raiders took a flyer on Jordan Love or something like that in the second round in case things Derek Carr didn't work out? Or, you know, even the kid who I like, Luton from Oregon State, just to bring in some competition and also to have a guy there just in case, all right, we know Derek Carr's not the guy. We like this guy. Maybe he could take over the reins next year. Anything's in play at the quarterback position with Gruden. I think he's got to be careful, honestly, a little bit because he's he's got a reputation, and I think he's trying his best to make this Derek Carr thing work so he doesn't scare every quarterback in football away from him if they ever do become a free agent. But you don't think he'd do a – what is it, the 12 and the 19? I don't, I don't think so. No, I, I don't. I, I don't think they're going to do anything drastic like that. I hear you. It's always scary there with that. I don't think no, Mayock I, would let him do it. That's the thing. I, I don't think, think Mayock, so either. Mayock can trust, right? Mayock, Mayock, you should trust. David Reutman, here we go. Let's go. Hey, um, do you see the Broncos trading out to get Judy? Uh, well, I gave him Judy in my mock draft, and I had Judy fall into him. I – if I were Denver, unless they absolutely were madly in love with a receiver, I would not trade. They're going to have a very good one fall to them. Uh, Peter Schrager, thoughts? I, you know, there's all this talk of them trading up to get one of these guys, but if Ruggs, Judy, or Lamb are there at 15, I mean, that's a – and they can get one of them. And if not, look, Justin Jefferson's getting a lot of buzz right now, and he's the fourth receiver. One of those guys will be there at 15. Justin Jefferson – had 111 catches and 18 touchdowns last year. Everyone said, well, it was the LSU system. Then he runs a 4-3-9-40 at the Combine, and everyone says, wait, what was that? So I think you now have not just three wide receivers, but four great wide receivers. I, I couldn't agree more. And at 15, like, you're going to get one of them. I, if I'm away, I don't overthink this. You got Cortland Sutton. You got Drew Locke. Let's go to work. Yeah, yeah. and I'll, I'll second that. I'm with you with the Justin. Je I, I think Justin Jefferson's better than Judy. I mean, if you made me choose which one I'd rather have, I'd rather have Justin Jefferson. So, yes, just stay there, Denver. You'll be fine. Jim Sorry. Fix, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. You are the only Jacksonville Jaguars fan <laughs> in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. Come on. Yeah, that's that's pretty true uh pretty tortured fan as well look at you you're mr jaguar look that's at right that. <laughs> that's right you should see the rest of my basement it's all jaguar stuff um so the question i have for you guys is uh in the draft on thursday in the first round where do you guys see the jags going with nine and twenty because really in my opinion they can't really go wrong because they need everything they and, need everything uh, look the one question you're not asking is what are they going to be able to get for a very, very unhappy, unhappy Yannick Ngakwe? Uh, Tony Baselli told me a couple of weeks ago he definitely will be gone by draft day. So that could even make their position stronger. Let's say adding another two. Because right now they're at 9, 20, and 42. They're going to get three really good players, and they obviously need it. To me, if I were them, 
you know, I'll go the pro football focus way. I will take the second best corner in this draft. I think that C.J. Henderson still will be on the board when they pick. That's who I would take at nine. Peter Schrager, thoughts? I'm curious with them dropping Marquise Lee, if they suddenly are like, well, you know, we can maybe get another corner at 20 and A.J. Terrell or Jalen Johnson, something like that. And maybe at nine, they say, we love C.D. Lamb. Like the, the, the Jaguars, it's so interesting because they keep – Marone and they keep Caldwell and yet you feel like it's a clean slate. It's so rare, Peter Chris, it's bizarre. But like yeah. to do this all over again with the same guys. It's fascinating. And I said it on our show on Good Morning Football. I feel like there's in and you're in the Minshew jersey. I feel like there's gonna be a 30 for 30 on the 2017 Jaguars. Like whatever happened to this team? It was just <laughs> a flash of the Miles Jack wasn't down. Yeah, he wasn't down. Exactly. <laughs> Miles Jack is the only one left. He's the only Pretty one much. left. Pretty much. That's right. I mean, it's Miles Jack, and I don't even know. Is, is, what was the guy who was returning groceries? Jadon Mickens, is he still there? I don't know. So, no, he's not there. He's not there. <laughs> he's not there anymore. <laughs> but uh, I'm fascinated at nine now because, you know, DJ Chark had a nice number statistically, but is he a number one, or do you want to just go C.D. Lamb and say, all right, we'll figure out the cornerback spot? I love C.J. Henderson also, but I thought the Marquise Lee move was actually kind of interesting yesterday. By the way, by the way, uh, Jim, and I'm sure you appreciate this. I love in Jacksonville when DJ Chark scores a touchdown and they play the Baby Shark song. Yes. Genius. All right, Derek Rolfs, you're up. Come on, Derek, you've got a Raiders question. I do. Um, I was going to ask you something similar to what Atticus was asking you um, about uh, Mayock, but you already said you trust Mayock, so I'll – I'll skip that and just go to uh, the draft picks the Raiders do have this year. At 12 and 19, um, I really enjoyed, Peter, your article on the numbers game this week in FMIA. Yeah. And uh, the first, first round, you know, drafted receivers, second round receivers. Raiders obviously need, need a receiver, but uh, do you think there's any chance they don't take one in the, with those first two round, the first two picks in the first round? Well, Derek, I would – I mean, I, I would think they're going to take a receiver because Gruden really wants a take-the-top-off receiver. And I think, I think Mayock would want the most complete receiver, and that's why I think they'll take C.D. Lamb. And I understand your thoughts. He's referring to a, a chunk of my column that I wrote the other day that basically said that in the last four draft classes, the second-round receivers have been far better as a group than the first-round receivers. And it's not just Michael Thomas. The average second-round receiver season, single season, over the last four drafts, they caught 20 more balls than uh, the first-round picks. And, and in my opinion, unless you have an absolutely desperate need at receiver, there's going to be so many good ones left in the second round. But Peter Schrager, you, you tell me right now whether you think the Raiders definitely go receiver in the first round. I do. I do. I think they definitely go with at least the 12th or the 19th. What I thought Atticus's take was so interesting about trading up for Tua, I, it's, it's going to be lingering there, but I, I just don't see it. So I do think Raiders go defensive player at one of those and wide receiver at the other. I have it like this. I've got them going Lamb at 12 and then 19 
going with either uh, A.J. Terrell, because he's a Clemson guy, and that's what Mayock seems to like, or Patrick Queen or Kenneth Murray, even if they got all those linebackers in free agency. I see Chris Sims raising his hand. What do you got, Chris? Yeah, on, Chris. No, no. I, they lost me, so I, I'm sorry. I was just saying I'm back. I, I oh, I wanted you in. All right. Hey, let's go to Craig Norton. Come on up, Craig. Craig Morton. I don't see him there, Peter. Uh, maybe, maybe he went off. Sorry. How about John Begley? John Begley, are you still with us? I am, Peter. How are you? Hey, hey, John. How you doing? Big fan, big fan. So uh, my question is about uh, Josh Rosen. Whatever happened to Josh Rosen, and does a team like the Patriots trade for him? Did the Chargers take him? He's a hometown kid and then wait on a you know quarterback next year if he doesn't work out like Lawrence or Justin Fields? Peter Schrager has got some Josh Rosen knowledge. Go ahead, Peter. All right. So Josh Rosen last year was the quarterback. And by the way, I love that Daniel Jones jersey by the little man. That's a awesome. real kid there. That's that not awesome, a... dude. I love that. Uh, Josh Rosen was this player with the Cardinals. Whatever. They, they were going to take Kyler Murray. And everyone was so defensive of Josh Rosen. Of like, you know, how could they do this to him? What an insult. All the... He goes to Miami and he doesn't win the job from Ryan Fitzpatrick never really asserts himself as the leader. And now everyone's off the bandwagon. But I would say this, and Peter, you had this in your column earlier this week. Joe Burrow is older than Josh Rosen. I would not give up on Josh Rosen yet. I think Josh Rosen was not some punk that people thought he was going to be when he came in. He handled the Arizona situation well. And I know that in Miami, they were like, yeah, he's a likable guy, but we just wanted to go with Fitz. So I am not ruling out Josh Rosen. But I would not be shocked if he's playing for a third team in three years when this thing is all said and done. I think one of the tough things right now, John, is that Josh Rosen is kind of like the used car. You buy a new car and you take it off the lot and it's automatically devalued a few thousand dollars. So then you go to trade in Josh Rosen the next year and you originally picked him with the 10th pick. Then you trade him for... I think the 48th pick or whatever it is. Okay. And now, now you look at Josh Rosen, and if you trade him again, what are you getting for him? And, and, but, but I agree with you. I think Josh Rosen, he's got to take and eat the crap sandwich that he <laughs> has been dealt. Okay. And he's got to wait. There's going to come a moment. There will, gonna, there will come a moment in his career when they hand on the ball and they say, it's your team for the next eight games. And, and, and that, and he's just got to be ready. That's the really unfortunate thing. He just got job here. And I mean, it happens sometimes in football and in life. He just can't get so down on everything that he doesn't, you know, show up for work and try to still be great. Thanks a lot. Like a guy the Pat Patriots would take late, get a steal. I don't, I don't think I, he, he doesn't strike me as a patriot, just I, and I don't know why, but I, I, don't, I mean, nothing, nothing, nobody knows what Belichick is going to do. It is surprising. Well, I think I see Belichick more as an Andy Dalton guy, even if he's got to pay a four or five for it. Uh, let's go to Peter Katz. Thanks, John. Thank you. Uh, thanks, guys. Uh, Chris Sims, I'm a Panther fan, so sorry about that, but uh, you're looking real good. So um, I'm also excited about Teddy Bridgewater. And I know you are, Peter. So two questions real quick. Uh, why didn't we re-sign um, James Bradbury? And it looks like we're going D first round. Do you see us going D the whole draft? Thanks. 
Chris Sims. Well, okay. All right. Um, hey, I'm a big fan of a lot of the stuff they have done. You know, James Bradbury. I think, you know, again, they're just looking at rebuilding their team. And I think they probably looked at that more as if, hey, listen, I think the Giants overpaid for James Bradbury. I wouldn't have paid $15 million a year for him. He's really good, but he's not a guy that you just go, hey, get on an island and cover that guy and stop the best receiver in football. He's not that guy. So I think that's probably – we're starting a new era there, and I don't think they probably wanted to spend the money on a guy like that at this point of this new regime. Um, I do expect it to be defense a lot in the draft. I mean, certainly going to be some good corners available at the top of the second round for the Carolina Panthers to fill that hole. And then you're sitting pretty in the top ten where – hey, whatever you one you want or whatever one's available, to me, Kinlaw, Derek Brown, I think they're five, top five type talent as far as defensive tackles are concerned. But I don't think they're going to both go in the top five. I'm not sure if either one of them will go in the top five. And one of them will be there for you, Carolina. And, yeah, I think you can't miss there. They're, they're superstars. I mean, Brown and Kinlaw, to me, when I watch them, I go, man, I've never seen humans that big, that athletic, and that explosive. I mean, they're truly special that way. But, yes, I would expect that top part of the draft. The offense is in pretty good shape. You know, some open offensive linemen maybe in the mid-rounds. But the top part of the draft, I think you're going to see a lot of defense. Thanks. Kristen from Kansas City, come on in. Kristen, do we have you? Hey, everyone. Hey, uh, thank you all for doing We'll get Kristen back. Let's go to Ryan McGurk. Ryan McGurk, you're up. Kristen's back. Okay, Kristen, you're back. Go ahead. Answer, ask your question again. We couldn't hear you. Yeah, sorry about that. Kristen here in Kansas City. Happy birthday. We love you here in Kansas City. As soon as you hopped on the Mahomes bandwagon, we love you. Uh, so I'm going to do my best Nick Wright impersonation. Peter King, you had the Chiefs trading up possibly for rugs. What do you think about them trading out of the first round for a second and a third from Indianapolis, Cleveland, or Miami, filling in not only the cor the cornerback need, the running back need, but then with that third round pick, possibly taking an offensive guard to ultimately try and replace Duvernay Tardif to save up some cap room? Uh I mean, they are going to need some cap room. There's no doubt about it. But I hey, Peter, before he before he continue, is that a Kimball Anders jersey? What jersey are you rocking right now? That is Joe Delaney. <laughs> Good for you. Good for you, Joe Delaney, the great. Um, yeah. The, I, I just say two quick things. Takes two to tango. I do think that Kansas City will have a chance to trade back because the last pick in the round means that if you take a guy in the first round. You have them for five years, you know, potentially, which is a year longer, obviously, in the second round. So they probably are going to have a chance to trade out. But, I, I mean, look, I, I know Indianapolis a little bit. I'd be surprised if Indianapolis trades into the first. Not shocked, surprised, because they've got a bunch of players right in the second round range, and I think they definitely want to use both of their picks in there. As far as sort of – your future and everything like that and, 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 and down the road in this draft, in my opinion, I think what Brett Veach does and, and what Andy Reid does is they look at their major positions of need. They'll fill them. But the reason why I think the guy who told me about this bizarre 
let's trade up for Henry Ruggs if he's there in the 20s, which is totally weird. It's because they view that they always want two or three guys, four or three range guys every game, and those guys get hurt. And that's why, even though it seems ridiculous, I think in some ways uh, it makes a little bit of sense. Let's go to Ryan McGurk. Come on, Ryan. Hey, guys. Um, thanks for your time today. Funny quick story. I parked today throwing the football with my son, and uh, Jimmy G was there getting his workout in. So for the Niners fan that came on earlier, he's, uh, he's definitely getting his work in. Um, Jets fan here in the Bay Area, my question is, if you're, uh, if you're Joe Douglas and you've got you know, five or six years left in your contract, how do you think about this year's draft in relation to kind of a multi-year draft strategy? Do you view this year in isolation, or what's your kind of two- to three-year time horizon in terms of building the optimal team that's sustainable for the long haul? It's an excellent, excellent question. Peter Schrager, go. I don't know if it, the season could have gone worse the first eight weeks for the Jets last year, and yet they finished the season well. I think they, they view this thing as last year was that wash year, and this is the year they contend, especially with Brady out of the division. I, I don't think they're looking for some long-term thing. I think that obviously they'd like to be great over long-term, but there's no doubt in my mind with Darnold healthy and the progress he's made over the last few weeks last year and this offseason with a new revamped offensive line, and with some actual health on the line on the defense with a healthy CJ Mosley and a healthy other couple guys, they think they could compete. Like they are not taking a mulligan on this year. And I believe they're going to draft players that can play right away and can actually be, you know, impact players in year one for them as rookies. Ryan, I'll just add this. What is very interesting about the Jets, someone who knows Joe Douglas very well told me this weekend when I was talking about the Jets, he said, listen, if he likes an offensive lineman and it's even close, just remember two things. Last team he was at is Philadelphia. Yes. Philadelphia was, when in doubt, take as many offensive linemen as you can. You're always going to need them. That's number one. And number two, just remember right now, his franchise quarterback has one of the worst offensive lines and maybe the worst, even with, well, not, not, not right now. But he, what, what Joe Douglas has bought is a bunch of C-plus guys, okay? Plugger guys. He hasn't, he hasn't bought in free agency a franchise offensive line. There's still a major, major need there. I just, I'd be surprised if he didn't go offensive line with that first pick. Let's go. Jeff Jackson, you're up, Jeff. Hi there. Thanks, guys. Well, uh, hope springs eternal as a lifelong Detroit Lions fan from Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, Canada. All, all, right. I've ever had, all I've ever had is the NFL draft. So I appreciate all you folks are doing here today. Also, I just want to take one second to thank all the medical staff everywhere for doing an MVP job to keep us all safe. But my, my question here is, is there a real scenario where the Lions trade down? And, and I know you, you need a partner to dance with to make that happen. But is that possible? And I hope it's not a corner, but do you see Isaiah Simmons in Honolulu Blue? What are your thoughts, guys? Uh, Jeff, the first thing I'm going to say is you have had the quote of the event. You want to know what it was? All I've ever had is the NFL draft. <laughs> yep. It is. So true. By the way, hey, by the way, I have been to Mosaic Stadium. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I've been to Saskatchewan, baby. Okay, here we go. Chris Sims, tell me about the Detroit Lions trading down and Isaiah Simmons 
and how you look at him. Okay, well, I love Isaiah Simmons. I don't know if he's necessarily going to be the guy for the Detroit Lions. Again, you know, Isaiah Simmons, I think, is more, you know, he's a very athletic guy. I don't know if he's quite got the physicality that a Matt Patricia slash Bill Belichick disciple will want at the linebacker position. Plus, you know, with Jamie Collins and some of the guys you've drafted over the last two years, you, you got some depth at that position. I love Simmons, too. He's my number one linebacker. Now, when the trading down conversation, this is interesting to me. Because, hey, like Peter just said, it's two to tango. But who is, who is in demand at number three right now unless somebody catches wind that one of the quarterbacks uh, could maybe get traded for or anything like that? So they need, you know, someone to have fear of, oh, no, we might lose the guy we want. And I'm just not so sure where that happens unless there's a team that wants to move up and get a tackle in front of the Giants that feel like, oh, the Giants might take our guy. Uh, and now they want to trade up with Detroit and Detroit trades back and gets down the, the first round a little bit. You know, that's a possibility. Does somebody fall in love with one of the two defensive tackles, you know, from Auburn or South Carolina? I said a minute ago, I think their top five picks are every bit as good as Quinn and Williams last year at number three with the New York Jets. So, you know, that's the biggest problem. Poor Detroit, I feel bad for them because the Tua injury hurt them maybe more than anybody. Great. And it just, it, right, it crashed that trade market. And I, you know, as I sit here and do my mock draft and finish it up, I have a hard time finding a trade for the Detroit Lions, and I think they're going to be stuck there, and I think they're probably going to have to overdraft a corner at three. I like Okuda. I don't think he's worth the number three pick, but I have a feeling that's what's going to happen to Detroit. The only, the only way I could see a trade there is if, as I wrote, that if Miami is so in love and can't with, with one of the quarterbacks and can't bear the thought that even though – Apparently, the Chargers are not going to jump them and trade with Detroit. Is it worth just to be able to sleep Wednesday night peacefully? Is it worth moving up or making a preliminary agreement, say, if our guy is there, would you agree to this deal? That's the only way that I could see them making a trade. I'll Leslie Ullman, you're I'll up. Add. Oh, wait a minute. I'll Peter Well, I don't think – anyone's making a trade with Cincinnati. I don't think Ron Rivera is doing anything but taking Chase Young. And I think Detroit has been trying to drum up interest the best way they can to say there's, they're open for business or there's a hot trade market. But I am with Chris and Peter here. I don't think there's a trade partner. I just don't. And it's going to be a game of chicken and chess maybe between the Chargers and the Dolphins. From what I gather, neither team is exactly dying for either one of those quarterbacks anyway. So no, I don't, right. I, I, it's not like it's, this is our guy. We need to get him. It's, Whoever's left, all right, maybe we'll take them. I, it's a very interesting year. After Burrow, the quarterback market is not steaming right now, and that's what the Lions needed. Leslie, hang on for a minute. First, we're going to Kevin Two. Kevin Two, are you there? Yeah. Hey, Peter. Hey, let's go Bobcats, baby. Uh, that's right. So, misery loves company. We're going from the Lions to the Browns. Uh, <laughs> have a complete overhaul in the front office and coaching staff. Again? <laughs> uh, my question is, do we finally have the right guys uh, leading us? It doesn't matter as long as Jimmy owns the team. Hmm. Peter Schrager, go ahead. I don't know if it's the right guys. I know that they're very well respected. Like Stefanski was 
they wanted him as the offensive coordinator in the Giants last year. He interviewed with several teams, and like he's a very respected guy around the league. But he's a 38 year old man, and he's now coming in to be the coach of the Cleveland Browns. 38 years old and spent most of the offseason living in Minnesota. So it's not a typical offseason for Stefanski. Um, but those guys were like Thielen, Cousins, Bridgewater. Those guys all swear by Stefanski. Let's see how he is as an NFL head coach, especially as a first-year NFL coach in a new market with a very passionate fan base with this very odd offseason. Andrew Barry, we know about his academics. We know about that. But again, first-year GM, and how, I don't know how much he learned with Howie Roseman for the last two years and working with Joe Douglas and that. But, I, you know, I, I can't say slam dunk this was the number one GM prospect in the league, and I can't say that was number one head coaching prospect in the league. But sometimes – that's just fine. As long as these players respect them and as long as they make the right picks, you could be all right. These were not home run hires, which we've been used to with Cleveland. You know, the one thing I would say is if Baker Mayfield doesn't play well, what, is, what does it matter? I mean, I, and I don't mean, you know, forever. I just mean for the next couple of years. The quarterback's got to play well or else Stefanski is going to be out looking for a job in two years. And I'm not trying to be overly negative. It's just a fact of life. Baker Mayfield is the most important person in that franchise right now. And no one else is close for second. Leslie Allman, let's go. Okay. <laughs> let's just go to, let's go to Ed Madden. Ed oh. Madden, are you there? Matt, just give me anybody then. <laughs> there you go. Can you guys hear me? Yeah, who are gotcha. you? Hey, Ed Madden from uh, Mount Airy, Maryland. I'm a okay, Dolphin. hi, Ed. Go ahead. <clears throat> How do you feel about the Dolphins' rebuild approach, and where do you see them finishing in a couple of years? Chris Sims, go ahead. Okay, well, I listen, I, I'm a fan of uh, just about everything going down in Miami. I, I'm a huge fan of Brian Flores. Listen, I worked with him in New England. Uh, I think he's a real hard-ass, no-nonsense, SOB who knows how to coach football and knows how to run an organization. I'm also a fan of Will Greer as well. You know, I, I don't want to see the Dolphins tr make too many trades in this draft or trade up for Joe Burrow. They got too many holes to fill on that roster, but I think things are going in the right direction. Hey, I was a fan of what they did in free agency. I think Byron Jones is special, you know, getting Kyle Van Noy down there, some other value sh signings like Shaq Lawson, things like that. So. This is a huge draft. They're nowhere out of the woods, as we know. But I do know these guys down there, and they know how to evaluate football players. They know how to evaluate players specifically to fit what they want to do X's and O's-wise on the football field. And from that standpoint, I do trust them. And, you know, really, I'm, I'm expecting big things here in the first two, day, two days of the draft from the Dolphins. Sam Ensign, you're up. Hi, guys. Uh, thank you for doing this so much. Sure. Um, I'm curious about the uh, draft this year, of course, because it's virtual and it's going to be a lot different. Um, what exactly would be the worst case scenario, considering there's a lot more technology involved, a lot more communication? Um, is there a plan B? Is, is it going to be okay? Is it going to go as smoothly as planned? Um, Sam, I'll take that one. Um, I think um, I, I told uh, – Bill Barnwell today on his pod um, that this is just my opinion and I don't mean to be snide or anything like that, but if uh, you're given 10 minutes in the first round 
seven minutes in the second and third round, five minutes in the fourth through seventh rounds. If you're given all of that time and you have three different ways to get in on, get your draft pick in, okay? Number one, you do it through Microsoft Teams, which is an encrypted server that you just type your pick in and it's sent to Ken Fiore, the NFL's uh, draft czar in New York. Mm -hmm. Number two, there is an open conference call line that every, that three designated people from every team will have access to, the general manager and two others. All you would have to do is pick up the phone, unmute your line and say, uh, yeah, this, the Bengals were, you know, and identify yourself and say, we're taking Joe Burrow, quarterback LSU. If all things fail, you got Ken Fiore's cell phone. That's mm -hmm. the third thing. You pick up the phone and you call Ken Fiore and you say, we're taking Joe Burrow. You know, this Duke Tobin with the Bengals. I, I just think there has been so much made of this. You know, I think that you don't have to be really that technologically advanced to be able to draft players in 2020 in the NFL draft. So I don't, I personally, I think it's going to be much ado about nothing. And if it is something, I would more blame the teams or I'd blame an act of God knocking out your internet, your phone line, and your ability to yodel your pick to your neighbor so he can call New York. Thank you. All right. Uh, how about Hugh Nunn? Hugh, are you there? No, wait a minute. Leslie Allman, we found you. Leslie. I'm, I'm still here. How are you Hopefully. doing? I'm, I'm good. I'm good. good. Steelers fan in, in Seattle. So uh, thank you guys for doing this. Sure. But really, my, my question was, was really a follow-up with, with Sam's. Um, you know, if, if, if something happens... And and I know you said that that it's it's very unlikely that it would. But um, I mean, is there a backup plan? Is is there any thought of of postponing the draft? If I think it's I too know, late now, Leslie. Like, I think it's too late now. Um, okay. To postpone it, and plus, I think that you know, as I wrote on Monday in my column, I talked to Roger Goodell on Saturday. This is really about something a little bit more than replenishing the teams and making draft choices. This is about saying to America, okay, listen, we are in a bag of crap time in this country. We all know it. And, but we all have to move on and we've all got to attempt to live our lives the best we can right now. And so if the NFL, because the technology is weird and they have to get together by either conference call or video conference, and talk that way versus all being in the same room. I, I can tell you, the NFL would view that as, you know, alibi making and, and you know, not, not being very wise. And I get everybody's concern about it, but I'm, I'm not, and I'm not trying to be flip about it, but, uh, and again, 50 people in the last month have said to me, man, people got a lot bigger problems than we do. We should be able to figure this out. And, and again, I think that's how, that's how everybody is looking at it right now. Great. Hugh Nunn, you're here. Hey, how are you? Okay. Um, thanks, guys, for doing this. This is uh, it's a pretty amazing opportunity. And, and just to echo your, uh, what you were just saying, the, uh, 
you know, the 365-day, you know, aspect that the NFL has become has really been just such a lifesaver in the absence of all the other sports. So, um, but I'm a big Ravens fan and uh, would, was wondering, I mean, I know, I know Peter Schrager has a little bit of uh, history with the Ravens. I actually met you at the Chargers game, the playoff game, sat a couple nice. rows in front of you. But uh, the um, looking at the draft, looking at uh, all the mocks and all of the all the players that everybody says, you know, this guy like Zach Bond or uh, AJ would be great in Wings' defensive scheme or something like that. What are a couple of players that you know could fall to? You know, we're at fifty-five and sixty in the second round. What are a couple of players you see that aren't being talked about that could be just a irresistible BPA pick right there? Peter Schrager, go. All right, so I think the Ravens would love a linebacker, and I think uh, Kenneth Murray is going to be gone, Isaiah Simmons is going to be gone, Patrick Queen is going to be gone. I'll give you a name, Jordan Brooks out of Texas Tech. A very fast player. He had a labrum injury, so he might go down a little bit. He might fall to 55 um, but I think, I think the Wisconsin kid, Zach, well, he might be there at 55. Everyone says they have him as a first or second round grade, but if linebackers aren't a position of absolute need, he could slip. And then I like some of the offensive linemen, um, if they wanted to add and try to fill in for Yonda in some way that Chris was mentioning earlier, whether it be Hunt, the big kid from Louisiana, it's not Louisiana Lafayette anymore. It's just Louisiana. And then I think, uh, <laughs> you know, you get some of these other guys that, that really had, had good combine experiences. Um, Second round is where they've traditionally done really well. But, you know, with all those compensatory picks, third round is where the Ravens really do their damage. And I think I'd be very confident that their group, in a year where a GM is new and his scouting director is new, the Ravens between Eric DaCosta, George Kukinas, and Joe Hortiz, those guys know each other and they all speak the same language. I think it's a great advantage in this offseason. Brandon, are you there with thoughts about the Cardinals and Kyler Murray? I think there's two Brandons, but I just got asked to turn on my video. So we can... Go ahead, do it. Brandon <laughs> McCormick, how are you doing? Good, how are you? Uh, Pittsburgh native, coming from Tuscaloosa. But uh, so, as much as I love Big Ben, obviously have a needed quarterback, um, do you think they're likely to address that in this draft, uh, go after someone in free agency, or even wait till next year? Chris Sims. Okay, well, I've been beating this drum, you know. Um, uh, first off, I don't think you could feel comfortable with the quarterbacks you got on the roster right now. You know, listen, I think Big Ben, yes, probably got a year or two left in him, a good football play. Uh, I would still be worried if that he got hurt again that, you know, here we go. Oh, we're going to have to win games with some invented offense and the defense is going to have to play out of this world so we can win 13 to 10. You know, <laughs> it's just not realistic. You just, you can't do it. I have been beating the drum of Jameis Winston, Brandon McCormick. I don't know if you've heard me do it on Pro Football Talk Live in the morning. But to me, if I'm Jameis Winston, I take the minimum and go play for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Wow. And I think, one, a guy like Mike Tomlin and company would know how to handle a guy like Jameis Winston. Two, I can't tell you how many people in the NFL look at Jameis Winston and evaluate him and go, oh, my gosh, I'd love to get my hands on him. He's so super talented. His good is great. Now, I know, just as we all know, his bad is, like, stupidly bad, where you just mm -hmm. go, what the hell was that? Okay? But coaches always have confidence that they can 
teach that. Plus, Winston has played, and he's certainly better than Mason Rudolph or Duck Hodges. So I'll just throw that name out there. But if they feel like they really don't want to go that route, then, yeah, they need to start dabbling a little bit here in the second, third, fourth rounds of draft to figure out who they can hit a home run with. Don't draft a guy and go, oh, we think he can be a good backup or he's good in the quarterback room. He draws nice circles and an X on the board. No. If you're going to drive the quarterback at that point, go for somebody that you think has star potential that might be able to be your starter somewhere down the road. Uh, but I think the Pittsburgh Steelers would be crazy not to be thinking about the quarterback thing a little bit right now. Let's go to the other Brandon. Here we go. Other Brandon. I think you're the Cardinals, Brandon. Yes, sir. How are you guys doing? Okay. Peter, I thought what for, we got for Oh, you got a fat tire. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> hey, what uh, about the dog? What's going on with the dog? Oh, that's little Phoebe. She's, she fell asleep on me, so. <laughs> Phoebe, good dog. Where are you calling from, Brandon, or where, whatever we're doing? Queen where Creek, Arizona. Which Arizona? Queen Creek. Okay. Uh, so my question's a, a two-part question. One is, with us getting DeAndre Hopkins, uh, thanks Bill O'Brien for that, um, do you guys foresee Kyler Murray taking the next step and is, you know, the national perspective on him hopefully the same that he'll be the next Patrick Holmes or Lamar Jackson and light the league on fire and go off on that? And if that is the case and that does happen, uh, you know, I know we were talking about Josh Rosen a little bit earlier, do you guys foresee the rest of the league saying, okay, we can take a quarterback top ten, and if it's not working out or we think this might be a better fit, change the way they draft? and start taking quarterbacks, quarterbacks more like running backs as a commodity while they're on that rookie contract? Peter Schrager. I think that's a cool question because it's one of these deals where everyone's like, if they take Tua this year, are the Dolphins all going to get – well, what if they take Tua, it doesn't work out, they take another one next year? Like, it's possible. We could do it. Um, I would look sig- – hold on. Sorry, guys. Can you guys still hear me? I'm sorry. Yeah, we got you. We wow. got you. Anyway, I would look at this situation and I would say, Kyler Murray, the, the, uh, I guess the, the bar is so high because Mahomes in year two goes on and throws for 50 touchdowns, wins MVP, then Lamar does it. But there is so many expectations in that building that not only DeAndre Hopkins being added, but whatever they get with the eighth overall pick, they're going to be players in that NFC West. So I would think this is the year for Kyler. We don't get two years of buildup. We get it now, and I think Cliff Kingsbury knows he speaks the language. He knows he's ready, and with Larry Fitzgerald, DeAndre Hopkins, and Christian Kirk, and don't forget this name, Dan Arnold. I know Cliff loves Dan Arnold, who's the tight end who had a great finish to the season. They feel very confident about their offensive weapons. Um, Hey, listen, we're going to do two more questions for the three of us, and then I'm going to release Peter Schrager. It's his birthday, and I'm going to release Chris Sims. The reason I'm going to release Chris Sims is that he has already done 17 hours of television today. And I know <laughs> he wants to go have a nice fat tire after this. Hey, happy birthday. We got a couple more, got a couple more questions. Let's go to Scott. I don't know about a fat tire, Peter, but something like fat. fat. Yes, yes. A fatty might be in my mouth later. Yes. <laughs> All right, here we go. Scott, you're up. Maybe you're not. Matt, do you want to give me oh, Anthony? Oh, there he is. There's Scott. Here. There he is. Here we go, Scott. Hey, how's the guys going? Thanks Good. for doing this and for a great cause and hope everyone's staying healthy and safe. Um, 
The question is now the Patriots, they like their linebackers height, weight, a little different. Now, if they stay in the first round and Murray or Queen are there, do you think they would consider them or would they pass? I think they need some speed in that linebacker group. I think Bond is the next is the next Teddy Bruski myself. Well, um, take that. And I think he's <laughs> he is a really, really well respected guy around the league. And I I desperately wanted to put him in the first round. I just couldn't make it happen. Peter Schrager, go. I'm just laughing because yeah, I'll take that. Yeah, Teddy Bruski. That's a very good uh I'll take that too. That's good. And also, uh, what about Sidham? If he came out this year, where would you have him ranked in the quarterback ranking? Chris Sims, where would you have Stidham right now? Yeah, that's a great question. First off, let me just say this. You know, Stidham, if he comes out a year earlier, which he thought about, he's going to be a first-round pick. You know, then the team fell apart his last year at Auburn, and, you know, we're in this era where if the team's good, it's because of the quarterback, and if the team's bad, it's because of the quarterback. That's all the only thing we blame. You know, so that's why his draft status fell to the fourth round anyways. You know, I think if I evaluated him for this draft right here, ooh, he'd probably be in a very tight, close race. For me, I, I have Burrow one and Justin Herbert two. And I'm not – I don't care about Tua's injuries or nothing. He would not be my number one or number two if he had a clean slate. So I think Stidham would be in that conversation for the next guy up at the position. You know, it would be close between him and Tua. I prefer a guy like Stidham more than I do Tua, honestly. Um, but, you know, again, I, I everything I know from my friends in New England and working up there, they think the world of this kid. And I would be shocked if they drafted a quarterback high in this draft because I think yeah. they want to frame the team around him and give him a shot and see what he's got. Hey, Chris Sims, Peter Schrager, thanks a million. Really Thank you. Guys. Doing this. Thank you. you guys Peter are the King, best. You're the man. I know. Yeah. Peter, thank you so Bye, much. Bye, everybody. For Happy birthday, Schrager. Bye. Thank you, guys. Have an awesome draft. And, Peter, what a great idea to you and Tess and everyone back at the ranch. Matt Casey, all you guys, fantastic. Thanks for inviting me. And that was a blast. I I'm really appreciate you've never it. Sweat thank before you. because sweat has an E A T in it. So I know you haven't worked out a whole lot in your life. You're a little confused with that spelling. I was waiting <laughs> for some sort of ribbing. Thank you, Chris. You're welcome. <laughs> Anthony Fiore, you're up. Hey guys, how are you? Uh, thank you so much for doing this. Uh, it's a much needed distraction. So uh, I'm a huge Green Bay Packers fan. I'm actually a shareholder as well. Um, so I'm obviously very interested in what's going to be taking place the next few days. So we've seen quarterbacks now playing into their late 30s, early 40s. So at the same time, the clock is starting to tick on the Aaron Rodgers era. So I am curious, what do you see the Packers prioritizing over the weekend? Do you see it being the skill positions or do you see them maybe going for middle linebacker, someone like, you know, Patrick Queen or Kenneth Murray? See, I think the really interesting thing with the Packers is that they're in, a, they're in almost the exact same position as Ted Thompson was in in 2005. <clears throat> they had no need. They had no desire to take a quarterback. In fact, there were some in the organization who knew it would piss Brett Favre off, and it did. Uh, but obviously it's the best pick that Ted Thompson ever made. And so now you look at the situation and the one difference that I see this year, okay, look, if Tua Tagovailoa is there when the Packers pick, they should just take him. Now, you know, we all, none of us think he's going to be there, but they should take him, let him get well and everything. And then 
in two years, we'll see what happens. Now, Aaron Rodgers is very clear. He wants to play. I think he wants to play at least three more years. So it's not the ideal thing. But in my opinion, uh, with the Packers having another pick late in the second round, if they desperately want a receiver, and of course they want one, I think they could still get a very good one at the end of the second round. So in my opinion, I think if they get a quarterback that they really like at 24, and I, I don't know if they like Jordan Love, but if they do, take him. Because you don't have an opportunity to get a quarterback who you really love very often. And they're going to be too good. They're never going to be drafted in the top 10, you know, for the, for the next few years. So to me, I think if they love one of those guys and he's there, they should take him. If not, don't force it. Thanks, Peter. Yeah. Jared, you're up. Hi there. Um, thank you for doing this. Um, my question is about the impact of the draft process being virtual. So how much of an impact has that had on scouts and like their ability to track certain players and um, doing virtual meetings with players? Like how much of an effect has that had on the draft process for many teams? It's a really good question. Um, I wrote in my column uh, 10 days ago or whatever it was, nine days ago, about a quarterback for the Rams. He's their Southeast scout. Uh, he lives in Daphne, Alabama. And his job is basically to go to about 30 pro days in, uh, you know, from March 1st to like April 10th. I think his last one was Alabama on April 9th. <clears throat> and so he now has to make judgments on players without going to pro day, without getting that extra contact with them. And uh, his name is Mike Pierce. And he said, you know, I actually like it because most of these guys, when you see him, when you see them and you talk to them at pro days and, and, you know, at maybe at a lunch you set up or something like that, they're very practiced. They're very rehearsed. I want to know a guy from how he plays. And if we're really going to pick him and if we're serious about him, then let's talk to him and make sure there's nothing in his background that would really scare us off about him. So, Honestly, I, I, don't think, I don't think a lot of regional scouts are in pain. I think they believe that we should just watch the tape, watch the games, and trust our eyes and pick these guys. Andy Beekman, you're up. Um, hi, I'm Jack hi, Beekman. Andy. I'm calling... Oh, I'm, hi, I'm Jack Beekman. I'm calling you from, my, from Syracuse, New York. This is my, oh, okay. dad's, this is my dad's MacBook, and... I, I'm a New England fan, New England Patriots fan, and I have a question. Which of the top second-tier quarterbacks would best fit would best would be the best fit for the Patriots if they draft one? Thank you so much for doing this. Oh, you're welcome. Um, I mean, my opinion of the one that would fit him best is even though he doesn't really fit their mold per se, is Jalen Hurts. I think he is a guy who one of the reasons that Bill Belichick would like him is that he's played at the top level, huge games in college football and nothing about playing a game in the NFL is going to bother him, disturb him, freak him out in any way. Um, he's played well in two huge college football places and proven himself <clears throat> twice in those times. So if I were the Patriots, 
And again, I don't think they'll get a chance at him in the second round. I think he'd be gone by then. He's the guy who I would love to see Bill Belichick and Josh McDaniels get their hands on. Mike Porter, you're up. Thanks a lot for uh, for uh, calling us today, Jack. All the best to you. Go ahead, Mike. Um, hi, my name is Tommy Porter, and I'm from Syracuse, Tommy. New York. How you hi. doing? Where are you from, Tommy? Uh, Syracuse, New York. Okay. Um, I was wondering if you thought that the trade for Stefan Diggs giving up the first-round pick was worth it? I thought the Bills got a very good player, um, Tommy, but in my opinion, I think they overpaid for him. Uh, he's, a very, he's a very good player, but they traded a one-plus stuff for him. And, uh, uh, I, I mean, when I look at the difference between what uh, Arizona ended up paying for DeAndre Hopkins, uh, it's almost 50 cents on the dollar compared to what uh, you know, to what Buffalo paid. And I understand why they did it. They really needed a receiver and they needed him at a fair price. So, and I think he's going to be a good player for them. But yeah, I do think they overpaid. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Okay. Uh, Mike McCormick. Mike, are you there? I am, Peter. Okay, Mike. Hi. Hi. How are you today? Good. Um, my question is about the Steelers. Um, obviously, last year was a disaster with Ben going down and all the other issues they had. Um, how many players do you think they are away from returning to uh, competitiveness in the AFC North? And what are the key positions they need to focus on in this draft? I mean, I think they're – I think as long as Ben Roethlisberger is healthy, they're going to win double digits. But that has always been the big question. Um, they obviously, in my opinion – with everything else that is a need on their team, I think their biggest need is to get their quarterback of the future. Because Ben Roethlisberger, you can't rely on him to stay healthy for the year. Um, I have written and I've said, I think that they should be interested and go after Jameis Winston. He's one year, five million. Get the tough love for Mike Tomlin. Chris Sims said it earlier on, the, you know, on this. Um, that's what I would do. I've heard that the Steelers have zero interest in Jameis Winston. I mean, Kevin Colbert's a lot smarter about football than I am. I would have interest in Jameis Winston at next to nothing of a price. And I don't mean to keep beating the drum for Jalen Hurts, but I just really like this guy as a player. I think he would be a really, really good addition for them. If you look at Pittsburgh right now, to me, I think that they have to start concerning themselves with retooling and rebuilding that secondary. Um, if I were them, it's not a great year either for safeties or corners, but that would be a real focus of mine with that lone second round pick if they don't take a quarterback. Thanks a lot. RRD, are you there? RRD, I'm not sure what that stands for, but you're up. Uh, Matt, do we have Neil Singh? Be quiet. Yeah, I'm a big, I'm a big Jets fan. Uh, my question was, do you think uh, Jamal Adams gets traded during the draft? Uh, if so, like, who would he go to? How much he would he get back? I don't think he's going to get traded during the draft. Jerry Jones was asked about him today, um, and uh, he basically threw cold water all over it. 
The Cowboys love Jamal Adams, but the Cowboys are also in big cap trouble. A team that would want Jamal Adams has to have a lot of cap room. I doubt that they're going to trade him because Joe Douglas does not want to trade uh, the most, either the first or second most popular player on the team uh, in and around the first, first draft he's had for that team. So I don't see them trading him. I, I see some headaches with Jamal Adams going forward. I have no idea why he would say, I'm not going to be involved in the offseason program. I mean, that's, that is to me saying, you know what, trade me on draft weekend. That's what it says to me. It might not be what he means, but that's what it says to me. Tyler O'Brien, you're up. Hey, um, my question's about the Cleveland Browns and whether you think, do you think it's better value to trade a mid-round pick for Trent Williams and pay him like that 10 to $15 million or, and be able to then trade down from the 10th overall pick or draft something other than a tackle or go ahead and take the tackle at 10? You know, in my opinion, um, Tyler, I don't think that Washington would take a four or five. I think they would sit on Trent Williams. Um, I, 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 don't, I don't believe that they are going to do that. Um, but having said that, I also think that Washington is very, very much in seller's mode for him. If you're talking about maybe the 70th or 75th pick, I think that might get it done for Trent Williams, but I doubt sincerely once you start getting into the hundreds, I think Washington would hang on and maybe trade him for a pick next year uh, before training camp starts, or I don't even know what training camp is going to be this year. Uh, but I, I, I think it's going to take a better offer than that to, uh, you know, to, uh, uh, to get Trent Williams away from Washington. Uh, RRD, are you there? Okay, uh, let's see. Um, Matt, have we hit everybody? I think, uh, what about David Baraski? David, are you there? Don't see that name. Okay, is there, there anybody else now who has not asked a question? I think, we're, I think we've hit everybody at least once. Derek Rolfs, has he been gone? Yes, I hit him. Okay. <laughs> Richard Velez? I've not hit him. Let's have Richard. Hey, what's up, guys? Hey, Richard, how are you? Oh, guy. Hey, thank you for doing this, Peter. Much appreciated. Sure. Um, I just wanted to get your thoughts on um, A.J. Terrell from Clemson. Do you think he's going to – I'm thinking the Raiders may take a wide receiver and then – um, Mac likes those big corners. So is that someone they can take at 19 or? That's, I, look, I think that they're either going big school corner. Let's assume they take a receiver with the first pick in the round and they don't trade out. I think they go big school corner, Clemson or Alabama right here. And it's funny when I, when I was asking, uh, people about Diggs and, and, and uh, A.J. Terrell at the, you know, in, over the weekend. It's very, very interesting. The level of competition. Everybody started talking about that. Look at Mike Mayox. He's only got one draft on his resume. 
But Mike Mayock loves level of competition. And that's why last year, you know, he told me a story last year uh, about the safety they took from Mississippi State, Jonathan Abram, about a, a couple of games that he played last year against the biggest competition. Mike Mayock is one of these believers that if you play against the best competition for three years and you acquit yourself well, you're going to come into the NFL and you're not going to struggle. Now, Abram had some injuries last year, but I think that is what Mayock – I put down when I was taking notes, and I'm looking at it right now, Clemson or Alabama corner, <laughs> right at number 19. So I think they're going to take one of those guys. Okay, great. Hey, quick follow-up. Um, yeah. What's your view on T. Higgins? Um, I didn't see him getting much separation at all against Ohio State and then in, in the championship game against LSU. So, it, You know, here's just two quick thoughts on T. Higgins, all right? So I think when you look up and when you look at guys, and I wanted to look up uh, uh, some, some of his numbers, okay? But I think because most people who look at T. Higgins right now, you know what they see? They see a guy who they believe is very much NFL ready. Okay. And I understand exactly what you're saying, but, and he's, and he needs to fill out some, but just, just think of a guy who basically is six, four, and he has done a really good job in 50, 50 balls. And that to me is one of the things that NFL people like. And again, I agree with you. He's not a real fast guy. He's some people are going to say, you know, even though he's tall, he's, he isn't going to get that great separation. But one of the things that when you talk to Sean Payton about Michael Thomas, different receiver, okay? But when you talk to Sean Payton, one of the things he said is, says is, Michael Thomas makes the 50-50 ball 70-30. And, and that, when people look at T. Higgins, that is what they want to build him into something that is a little bit bigger guy and they believe – I think people who look at T. Higgins believe that he can, if he fills out a little bit, believe that he can be that more physical receiver. Awesome. Thank you, Peter. Thank you. Um, okay. Richard Velez. Oh, that was you. <laughs> Thank you. Um, Matt, do we have anybody else who has not, who has not spoken? We've done it now. Hour and a half. Last Dinner time. is ready. <laughs> If anyone has anything, if anyone speak up in the chat, if you haven't uh, asked a question, but let's go one more. We're getting, Hey, uh, uh, wait a minute. Andy Beekman, you said you have a COVID-19 NFL question. Let's end on that happy note. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Peter. How you doing? Andy Beekman here. I just, I have to tell you, my son just broke down in tears how excited he was for what. Oh, that's great. He was Thank good. you so much. We're here in Syracuse, New York. I have a question. Um, I'm a lawyer by trade, and I'm really curious about how the COVID-19 NFL, uh, you know, things that we're facing right now impact the CBA and the contracts involved. If there's no revenue that's going to be produced from the the, uh, the stadiums and other all these other ancillary revenue streams, do you have any insights on how that impacts the CBA and the individual contracts and what the ramifications could be there? You know, it's interesting. Um... I'm going to be on a conference call tomorrow, Andy, with D, with uh, D Smith of the union. And one of the questions I had written down or one of the topics is, um, I mean, 
what are the players' rights in a situation like this? Uh, I mean, let's just say for the sake of argument that the NFL plays a 12-game schedule this year. You know, do players essentially get, get 75% of their compensation? Or, or, or will the union say, hey, wait a second. You know, uh, we think they ought to get paid in full. So those are things that, you know, it's really interesting. Uh, you know, I, 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 can't, I can't emphasize this enough. In the last two or three weeks, I have written so I've written three of the longest columns that I've ever written in my life. And the reason is there is an endless supply of topics and interesting content. And you just asked a question. You're not the only one who has that question. What's going to happen? Everybody is curious about that. Everybody is. And so to me, when I look at that, I say, that's something that I'm sure that D Smith and Roger Goodell and, and the Players Association Management Council with the NFL, they've got to address that. But I think they're probably going to wait and see what happens, you know, to the course of the offseason. Because I still think, I don't know if I'd say I'm bullish on it, but I still think there's a good chance they're going to play the 16-game schedule. Anyway, thank you. We do thank have you. one guy who is not, you're welcome, who has not been called, Tom Prickett. Are you there, Tom? I think I am. Oh, how you doing, Tom? I'm doing fine, Peter. Uh, Peter, in, in view of uh, the Packers' success, you know, why does Brian Gutenkunst not get any love? Uh, I mean, I think, I think he got some last year, but I think a general manager who takes over a team with Aaron Rodgers as the quarterback um, it isn't that he's not that that he's going to have to work extra hard to get love. It's just that I think people are going to want to see him want to see them win consistently. Now, last year um, he had an incredible off season. You know, he made two of the best free agent signings, two of the five or six best in all of football with the Smith brothers. Um, and I just think you got to stack a few of those together. Uh, it's just a gut feeling. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm not, I'm, I'm, I like, I like him a lot. I mean, I've talked to him at length a couple of times. He's very smart. He's a meat and potatoes guy, uh, respects the game, learned a lot from, you know, the great mentors in recent Green Bay front office history. Um, I think he'll get his due if they continue to win. Thank you. Hey, listen, thanks to everybody. And thanks for giving me some really, really good content on my podcast this week. That's great. And thanks so much for helping two great causes, an emergency cause in New York City, where I live, and also uh, the Midwest Food Bank that is, I can tell you, is, is just so, so pleased that we would step up and do a little something for them at the time of the greatest need in their 13 year history. So thanks everybody. Have a great time watching the draft and please, wherever you are, stay safe. And I'll be back with another podcast next week.